Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Very good morning, everyone. Um, uh, Great to have you with us. Advent is here. Um, So we are going to be in Luke's Gospel today, but we're actually taking a break from our uh, Luke series to do a three-week series on Advent. Today we're going to look at hope. Uh, Next week, Seb is preaching on love, and then we'll look at faith uh, at our carols in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Just to reiterate what Joy said um, with the carol service, uh, this is the best opportunity in the calendar year to invite your friends to church. And the whole reason we started this church, the whole reason we plant new services, is to help people find faith in Jesus. And so I just want to promise you it's going to be really accessible for your friends. Uh, I'll be doing the talk. Uh, I promise it'll be a lot shorter than normal. I vow to you I will not touch on Leviticus at any point in the talk. It'll be light. The whole heart will be, why don't you come back to church in the the new year or sign up for uh, the Alpha Course in our home. Um, And uh, I know it's a bit nerve-wracking reaching out a hand and saying, hey, come, come to our carols. But I just want to reassure you, the worst that anyone will do or say, say, no, I don't want to go. No one's going to say, who do you think you are to impose your carol service on me? That's not going to happen. So because this is what we're about, I really want to encourage you, why not take a few flies away? There's a box of them at the front. And maybe if we could all invite one person over the course of the next two weeks, my prayer is that in two weeks' time, this room will be full of people who don't normally come to church, who one day end up finding faith in Jesus Because once upon a time, one of you guys actually invited them to church. That would be amazing. That's what it's all about. Okay, today we're looking at the subject of hope. And uh, in some ways, I feel like that's probably what our world needs almost more than anything else right now. Um, What's happening in the Middle East right now feels particularly horrific. Uh, In some ways, it feels like we stand on the brink of World War III. It feels like America and China and Russia and Europe are all getting drawn in. Uh, to what's happening there. How do we have hope in the midst of all of that? But on top of all of that, which kind of, I guess for many of us, feels like it's happening a long way away, uh, all of us personally are walking through our own stuff. Uh, Many of you will probably not know this. I wasn't aware of this. But when the church calendar was actually formed, largely in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, largely in Europe, um, in Rome, uh, Advent was deliberately put at the darkest time of the year to kind of symbolize the darkness that, all of us end up walking through and our kind of need for light to break in. How do we have hope? Uh, The word Advent means coming. It kind of somehow captures a kind of longing for something or someone to come in the midst of the pain and darkness that all of us walk through. So how do we have hope? Well, let's start by reading the passage together, Luke chapter 24. Um, It's a well-known passage. We're going to read from verse uh, 13. Oh, yowzers, the words are quite big. Um, hopefully you're going to see them all. Um, If not, you can just listen to me. Uh, This is what Luke writes. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Small pause here. Uh, Why the detail on seven miles? Uh, Had one Bible teacher say that Bethlehem uh, is also seven miles from Jerusalem. And it's like a little hint that what happened at the coming of Jesus is linked to the hope that we find through the resurrected Jesus. Don't know if, if there's much in that, but I thought it was interesting, so I thought I would mention it. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, 
are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but did not find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked, were not our hearts burning while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Okay, a bit of context uh, first of all. Um, two people in this passage, Cleopas and uh, the other guy is actually not named. Now that's probably a literary device uh, by Luke, so we kind of read ourselves into this story. So in some ways what's happening to these guys uh, reflects on all of our walks, our journeys through life. And we read in verse 21, these guys had hoped that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel. In other words, it's not just the fact that Jesus has died that is the reason that they are downcast. Jesus has not done what they hoped he would do. They hoped that he would redeem Israel, and it does not look like he has done that. Rome is still in charge. Taxes are still high. Poverty is still rife. They're little more than slaves to the Roman Empire. And even if Jesus is alive, as the women seem to have reported He's not done what they wanted him to do. I'm sure most of us can relate to this. You ever felt like life is not the way you would have hoped? Has life ever seemed disappointing? You wanted Jesus to do stuff that right now he has not done. How do we have hope? Well, I want to suggest four things from this passage. Really simple. I think it's kind of supposed to be that way. How can you and I be people of hope? Uh, number one, uh, we can have hope because Jesus is with us in the midst of our pain. First thing from Luke 24, all this bad stuff is still out there. Rome's still in charge, tax is still high, they're essentially slaves, but in the midst of all of that, Jesus is with them. How can you and I have hope as we walk through the darkness? First reason we can have hope is we're not alone. Jesus is with us in the midst of it. But the question is, how do we know? You know, one of the interesting things in this story is for a big chunk of it, these guys don't know Jesus is with them. How can you and I have confidence that Jesus is with us in the midst of this pain? Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to do a kind of different version of this in a couple of weeks, uh, but it's something that I, I find helpful. A um, number of uh, Christmases uh, ago, 
Uh, very early in the morning, uh, my wife, Joy, surprised me with an unexpected present. About 6.30 in the morning, and I'm like, oh, no, you know, we said we'd spend no money this year. What's this unexpected surprise? And uh, I opened uh, this gift, 6.30, and my first gift on Christmas morning uh, was a positive pregnancy test. And I was like, oh, you hadn't spent any money. No, um, it's great. Um, and I remember, like, holding this thing in my hand, thinking, like, oh, no, like, my life has changed, like... Like, will I be a good dad? Like, what if this baby takes off to joy? You know, all the fears that come when you, like, become a dad. And then I remembered how pregnancy tests worked. I'm like, I need to go and wash my hands. But anyway, excuse me. Um, and, um, and yet, here we are, uh, almost 13 years later from uh, that moment, and uh, I'm a dad. Now, just imagine, silly example, you came to me and said, look, well, prove to me that you're a dad. I don't, I don't really believe you're a dad. Prove to me. How would I prove it to you? Well, I would say, like, three things I draw you to. Firstly, like, 13 years of ongoing relationship. Like, I've got a whole load of experiences that I can draw on to say, yeah, I, I think I'm a dad. Now, you might come to me and say, well, like, you know, I'm not sure. I think I need a bit more. You know, maybe there are artificial intelligence. Maybe a really sophisticated computer program. Well, maybe the second thing I would draw you to is a document that can be trusted. I'd whip out Brody's birth certificate and say, hey, 27th of December 2010, like my boy Brody was born. Like 1st of September 2015, my girl Amelie was born. And so on and so forth. Like this is legally like provable, verifiable, like something I can rely on. If you don't want to draw on my experience, here's a document that can be trusted. If you think, well, I think I need a bit more. Well, the third thing I'd point you to is a moment in history where everything changed. Like, I was there at the time. Joy punched me three times during labor. Like, I felt it. Not as much as she felt it, I want to be clear. But like, there's a moment that I can draw on. This is how faith works for all of us. Like, how do I know Jesus is with me? Well, well, firstly, I have a whole load of experiences that I can draw on. Like, for these guys, their hearts are burning. Like, they don't fully realize it, but no, my heart is burning because Jesus is with us. And I've got a whole load of experiences that I can draw on in the midst of the darkness that reminds me, yeah, I'm not alone. And I would say that if you have never felt the life and power of God breaking into the darkness of our world, we would just love to pray for you. Now, I know the Christian faith is way more than an emotional experience, but it is not less than that. And so if you would love to, like, I really want to experience the life of God, we'd just love to pray for you, that you'd know in whatever you're going through right now, the life and grace and mercy and power of Jesus breaking into your world. But of course, the Christian faith is about more than just feelings. And there's a whole load of moments in my life when I don't feel God so closely. What do I draw on then? Well, secondly, there's a document that can be trusted. There's the witness of the scriptures. And I've lost count of the times when, oh, I don't feel the presence of Jesus, but the truth of the scriptures has kind of got me through. And I, I want to encourage you, like, feed on the word of God. It will like, help strengthen you through the darkness that we all walk through right now. Sometimes there's, like, there's nothing else to hold on to. But then thirdly, there's also this moment in history where everything changed. Like, our whole calendar is shaped around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. How did that happen? And what it means is in the moments when I don't feel Jesus, I'm still anchored I'm not like, oh, I'm not feeling it right now. Maybe God's not real. No, no, something happened in history that changed everything. And it means as I walk through the darkness, when life is painful, when stuff is hard, this happens to all of us, it means I have anchored hope. Sometimes I feel the life of God, but sometimes I don't. And when I don't, I'm not alone. 
There's a moment in history, and there's the witness of the Scriptures. How do you and I have hope? Jesus is with us in the midst of the darkness. Secondly, how do we have hope? We have a promised future. Verse 26 um, says this, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Like one of the things Jesus reveals to us is that the other side of suffering, the other side of pain, is glory. The other side of waiting in the darkness is light. Uh, by the way, by the way, this is the key to the Christian faith. Like if you want to experience the life of God, the call of Jesus is come and die. Lose your life. Don't live for yourself. And oh goodness, if you're like me, it really hurts. Like, give yourself away. But the other side of that is promise, blessing, resurrection, life, and power from God. But the promise of Advent is this. Darkness is not the end of the story. Light is on the way. Uh, I realize um, we often quote the Chronicles of Narnia in church, but I think it's just a really great analogy of the story that we all inhabit. And at one of my favorite moments in the story, uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is this moment where it, it looks like evil has won. Like the witch is still uh, on the throne. Uh, it's still always winter and never Christmas. Like there's frost and snow everywhere. And then comes this moment when they hear the name of Aslan. And they don't even know who he is, but this is what C.S. Lewis writes, and the quote will be on the screen. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken his name, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or delightful strain of music had just floated by. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. They don't even know who Aslan is yet, and yet they hear his name and realize, oh no, something better is coming. This is a picture of our story too. And the scriptures tell us, look, we, we don't know precisely the glory that will one day be revealed, but we do know enough. Silly example of this. Um, when Joy and I got married, uh, we brought together two very different uh, Christmas traditions. Uh, in my family, we basically stretch uh, opening presents out all day long. Like, we might have three presents, we might have 300, but basically, you know, you know so someone opens a jumper, we're like, ooh, like, hold it up, go try it on, do a fashion show. Like, like every present just takes an absolute age, and uh, we're basically there all day. Um, Joy, in her family, basically, they, they wake up first thing on Christmas morning, they charge down to the Christmas tree, and they uh, rip off wrapping paper uh, with seemingly no reference to anyone or anything else. I remember when I first saw this, I was like, whoa, um, this is feral. I mean, it was, it's wild. Now, um, now uh, we've got married, we've kind of like combined uh, these two traditions, and there's a mixture of wildness in the morning, and more, you know, the Christian way, the way Jesus would have done it uh, in the afternoon. Um, but, but here's the point. Um, before Christmas, there's, there's all these brightly wrapped gifts under the tree, and my kids have absolutely no idea what lies beneath that sparkly wrapping paper. They do not know. I mean, it could be broccoli. It could be a dustpan and brush so they can do more chores around the house. They do not know. But the point is, they do know enough. They know enough about how much I love them. 
They know enough about uh, previous experiences at Christmas that they can draw on. They know uh, enough about the conversations that we have had in the build-up to Christmas. And because they know enough, it means they get really excited. And they mooch around the tree. And they count how many are, are for them. And they try and kind of feel them and try and work out what it is. This is our story. This is the story we inhabit. We do not know what it will be like one day when the full glory and majesty and grace of God is revealed to us and we see him face to face. We do not know, but the scriptures say we do know enough. And therefore, you and I, the way that we can live is a bit like kids around the Christmas tree. Oh, what's it going to be like when the glory of God is revealed to us? Peter tells us, set your hope on the grace to be brought us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That's why you and I, the scriptures tell us, should talk to each other about this. We should remind each other about the story that we are part of. That one day, darkness and fear and sorrow and sighing will be done away with forever. And we will be in the presence of Jesus forever. How can you and I be people of hope? Number one, Jesus is with us right now in the midst of the darkness. If life is tough for you, he's here. And it's not just a feeling. It's that, but it's more than that. Secondly, it's not the end of the story. After suffering comes glory. That's why you and I can have hope. Third reason that you and I can have hope is the glory of the future age is breaking into the present age right now. The disciples of Jesus made a fundamental mistake when it came to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, now, for this, um, I need um, a volunteer to kind of illustrate what I mean by this. Um, darling, would you mind coming to the stage? Would that be okay? Um, um, <laughs> this is the joy of God that you're experiencing right now. Um, I, I would, um, you're wonderful and amazing, and I love you. And um, uh, would, would you, I'm going to get it later. I'm going to make this sermon really long. Um, uh, could you put out your arms like that? Would that be okay? That'd be great. Now, um, here's how the uh, disciples initially thought the coming of the Messiah, like what it would be like. Essentially, it would be, Darkness, 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 pain, 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 darkness, darkness, darkness. Then the Messiah comes, and I realize in this illustration my wife represents the Messiah. I apologize for the blasphemy. Messiah comes, light, 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 glory, glory, glory. That's not how it worked out. What happened was darkness, 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 pain, pain, pain. Then the Messiah comes. Now what I'd like you to do is like move this hand over there like that, if that's all right. And what you have is Jesus at his coming initiates a bit like that, that's better. He initiates a kind of new age of light. A new kingdom has broken in at the same time that we have this present evil age of suffering and pain and darkness. And so what we have right now is these two ages existing at the same time. And then will come the moment at Jesus' second coming where the present evil age is passed away forever and we have light, 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 glory, glory, glory forever. But this... Both ages is where we live right now. This illustration is really working, I can tell. Uh, you may now um, sit down, my darling. Thank you very much. Can I have a round of applause? Um, so we live in between both times right now. Light is breaking in from the future age, but we still live in the age of darkness. And you see this in the scriptures. It's a really interesting moment that I often reflect on where um, at the dawn of the early church, Peter is locked up in prison. Present evil age darkness opposition to God suffering and so the disciples are like God we don't know what to do we pray we pray for a miracle and amazingly an angel turns up 
miraculously releases Peter from prison and he goes and sees the disciples. They don't even believe it's him initially. It's an amazing miracle. And then comes this moment, and you have to read really carefully to see this, where he realizes that James, one of the other disciples, has been put to death with the sword. And if you're like me, you look at that moment and think, hang on, you can send an angel to release Peter from prison. Why couldn't you do the same for James? Why does James, the disciple, have to die? And why does Peter miraculously get released from prison? It's a picture of these two ages that we are living in right now, light and darkness at the same time. What it means for us is, yes, we experience darkness right now. All of us will walk through pain. Like James's story, death will come to all of us at some point. But also, in the midst of the darkness, we should expect the glory and power of the future age to break into the here and now. We shouldn't be like hoping and longing for this day somewhere in the future. We'd be like, God, no, no, no. It, I'm not just waiting for Christmas Day like the kids around the Christmas tree. We get to open some of the prisons early. Because God's life and light and power is breaking in right here, right now. I was listening to a talk um, recently by a guy called Jim Simbala. Uh, he uh, has led a, an amazing church in New York called, Brook, uh, called Brooklyn Tabernacle. And um, uh, he was telling a story about a building project uh, for um, their church. And I deliberately used kind of a, a building project story because one of our dreams as a church, as we run out of space in both here in the Cantonese service, is uh, one day we get our own building. Like, wouldn't that be an amazing miracle from Jesus? And so he's involved in this building project, and um, in the middle of the project, he gets a call from the developer saying, bit of a problem, we've just worked out, you are $6 million short of this project being completed. And the church is a really poor church. Like, even if they give all they've got, they can't raise $6 million. Like, what on earth are they going to do? And on the phone, Jim Simbala is like, well, we're a church, this is a faith project, sometimes God provides on the way, puts the phone down, what are we going to do? So he's kind of praying like, God, I need your light and life to break into our world right now. He gets back to his office. On his desk in his office is an envelope. He opens the envelope. In the envelope is a check for $1 million. So he takes it to the finance team and says, we need to cash this right now, and we need to keep on praying. He's high-fiving the finance team. At that point, there is a call in his office. He goes to take it. It's a woman he doesn't know who's a recluse in the local community who says, I've just had this prompting, I've heard about what you're doing, and I'd like to give you a gift of $5 million. And by the end of that day, he's got everything that he needs, and the building project is completed. This is the God that we serve. And so what it means for our journey as a community is, guys, there's going to be a whole load of moments when it just feels hard work. There'll be moments where it feels, even as a community, we walk through the darkness. There'll be some days that feel really dry and boring, Maybe you feel like you're in one right now. <laughs> but we should also expect our journey together as a community to be littered with moments of the light and life and power of God breaking into our world. That should be our experience. And actually, because I know you, I know all of you have got moments where it feels like God has broken in and that God has done some amazing stuff. You know, going back to the Narnia story for a moment, I also uh, love the moment where the witch's power is beginning to break. And one of the first things that happens is Father Christmas comes along and brings gifts. It's still winter. It's still cold and frosty everywhere. But there is a sign, the power of the evil one 
it's waning. And there's new life and power breaking in. Like, this is our story. Aslan is on the move. The witch's power is broken. Therefore, we have hope. Number one, Jesus is with us in the midst of the darkness. Number two, after suffering comes glory. It's not the end of the story. Number three, that glory is breaking in to the here and now, right now. And then number four, how can we be people of hope? We get to be bringers of this hope, of this light, into the darkness that is all around us right now. Now, interesting thing, first thing that happens, once these disciples realize the magnitude of, oh, wow, Jesus is alive, first thing that happens is they go back to Jerusalem. Now, this is really significant because Jerusalem is a really dangerous place to be. People want Jesus' followers dead there. And yet, the moment they realize, oh, wow, a new kingdom's breaking in, like death itself has been conquered, first thing they do is they go back to where it's really dangerous to bring the light and life of Jesus there. Therein lies a lesson for us. This is one of the reasons, guys, why I think it is actually really important that we live with the kind of urgency of we want to invite our friends to church, to the carols, to Alpha, whatever. Because God's master plan for the redemption of our community and our city and our nation is the church, and there's no plan B. So if our world is in darkness right now, it's on us to be bringers of the light. I came across a cool story in The Guardian a while ago. Uh, this is a guy from Croatia called Giancarlo Zigante. And uh, he had a full-time job, but in his spare time, he was a truffle hunter. And um, he's in his 70s now. Uh, this happened fairly recently. And uh, basically, truffle hunting, apparently, if you want to find great truffles, you have to go in the middle of the night because uh, something of the cold of the evenings carries the scent for the dogs to catch the kind of scent of the truffles and they can find them under the trees and you can dig them out. So middle of the night, he's looking for truffles. The dog catches a, a scent. He starts kind of moving the soil and realizes, oh, wow, this is quite a big uh, truffle. I think there's a picture of him coming up uh, on the screen. Um, at the time, um, this broke the, the Guinness World um, Book of Records for the largest truffle in the world ever. Um, it doesn't look like it. That is worth, in today's money, around about $2 million. So this is a lot of money. So Giancarlo Zigante has just become a multi-millionaire. What's he going to do? Rather than cashing in on the truffle, he decides to call a huge party and invite 200 people from his local village to feast on the truffle. He actually became a celebrity across Croatia as a result. This is what God has called us to do. It's like we have found something even better than the world's biggest truffle. So we're to invite other people to feast on the hope and glory that we have found. I'm a big fan, or was a big fan, of a lady called Helen Rosevear. Um, and a uh, picture of her coming up on the screen. Uh, she passed away a few years ago. She was an amazing missionary uh, in Africa. And I actually went to hear her speak at the Keswick Convention uh, a few years ago. Just a remarkable, very humble lady who has just incredible stories of God breaking in in the most remarkable ways. She just saw amazing miracles. But the, this story I, I heard her tell um, was actually um, in the UK. And she was in um, Waitrose. And uh, she's in the queue to pay for her goods at Waitrose. And she feels what she thinks is a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Um, turn to the lady behind you in the queue and tell her God loves her. And uh, Helen Rosevere is like, no way. <laughs> like, this is Waitrose. Like, you don't do that here. Like, 
all deep maybe, but definitely not uh, in Waitrose, no way. And she just feels this nudge coming in. Turn to the lady behind you and tell her God loves her. And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. Definitely no. And she's kind of like wrestling with God. And eventually she kind of feels like God wins this mini inner heart battle. So she turns around to this lady. She's like this lovely kind of British, like fine British uh, lady. And um, she says, hello, I'm Helen and I'm a Christian. And uh, this lady is like, oh, look at the self-checkouts. Can I run away from this moment? What's happening here? And she says, um, I just believe God has told me to tell you that he really loves you. He loves you very, very much. And this lady suddenly dissolves into tears. And Helen Rosemary is like, oh, no, a scene in Waitrose. What do I do right now? So she takes this lady out of the queue. And once this lady composes herself, she says, I'm really sorry. That kind of got through my defenses. She says, in the whole of my life, nobody has ever told me they love me before. Not my mum. Not my dad. Not my siblings. Not my friends. And Helen Rosevere gets to introduce her to Jesus. Oh, there's nothing better. Guys, that's our job. We're not here just for hope for ourselves. Our world needs more truffle. We've got to take Jesus there. That's why we do this. How can you and I be people of hope? Number one, in the midst of the darkness, we are not alone. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. It's interesting in this passage, it says Jesus broke the bread, that their eyes were opened. And so I'm just going to pray in a moment that whatever you're going through right now, maybe life's great, but you know Jesus breaking in as we take communion together. We're, we're not alone. He's here right now. Number two, whatever we're going through, it's not the end of the story. We have hope, glory, light, life is coming one day. We do not know what it's going to be like, but we know enough. So we should be really excited. Number three, that glory and light and life is breaking in right now. Their hearts are burning. Something of what is coming, like it's a foretaste that they're experiencing as they walk down this road with Jesus. And fourthly, we can live this out by taking the good news of Jesus to a world that does not know how much he loves them. Can I ask us to stand? Can I invite the band up? Uh, you might want to reach for the communion on your seats. And if you're like Jesus, I want you to break into my world again. I just invite you to take this in your own time as we sing this next song. And if you feel like I'm not sure I'm able to do that, I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready to follow Jesus right now, uh, there's no pressure at all. Don't feel like you have to. But bef before we sing, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. God is here. And in the ordinariness of this moment, he wants you to know just how much he loves you. He loves you very much. He's so good. He's got exciting plans for you. He's not done with you yet. Come Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence right now. Father, here we are, 
metaphorically speaking, walking with Cleopas down the road of life. And so often we are oblivious, we are blinded to the magnitude of who you are and what you've done. And so I just ask, out of your grace and mercy, in this moment, would you break in? Would something of the light of Jesus penetrate the darkness of our world right now? Would it feel like the glory of the future age is meeting us in the here and now? Open our eyes that we might see Jesus. I ask, would you help us to know how much you love us? Would something of the love of God break through our defenses? Speak to us about where you want to send us. These guys turn around and go back to Jerusalem. Where are you sending us? As we take bread and wine right now, I just ask, may this be a holy moment. Us and Jesus, Jesus and us. Come, blessed Savior. Walk with us now, we pray. Let's worship together. Take communion in your own time.